Welcome to Franchise Voice, the International Franchise Association podcast with your host, Bill Meyerling, and I'm Jack Munson. Hey, Bill, how are you today? Hey, Jack. Great to be with you. We're going to talk a little California-specific politics that also may affect the rest of us across the country. Who are we chatting with today, Bill? Uh, today we have with us Jeff Hanscom from the International Franchise Association, as well as Roy Gilad and Greg Flynn, to talk about the Fast Recovery Act, or California AB 257, an incredibly important bill that every franchisee and franchisor should be paying attention to. Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Fast Recovery Act? Sure. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you guys this afternoon. Fast Recovery Act really is, is two parts, two bills in one, both of which are equally bad and e- equally harmful to franchise restaurants, uh, but also some parts uh, some parts of the bill, also non-franchise specific, really impacts a very wide breadth of restaurants in California, counter service, quick service, fast casual, and, and a lot of folks in between. The bill was originally introduced uh, in 2021, and through a combination of efforts between the International Franchise Association partnering with the California Restaurant Association. We ultimately held the bill at bay uh, back in 2021, but like all good things, it got a second chance in 2022 and is ultimately now sitting in the California Senate, having passed the assembly with the bare minimum number of votes of 41 uh, back in January uh, of this year. And like I mentioned, the bill has two primary parts. Part one creates the Fast Food Sector Council. The Fast Food Sector Council would be an 11 member unelected unaccountable board with the power to set uh, basically unfettered power to set workplace policy standards for quick service and counter service restaurants in California. And it should, I should also note that quick service and counter service restaurants in California are defined as those where customers pay before they eat and have 30 or more locations nationwide. This 11 member unelected and unaccountable council would, as I said, have power to set any virtually any workplace policy standard, workplace safety standards, uh, basically anything that is currently reserved to either the legislature or Cal OSHA. If this uh, if this council decided to mandate that quick service and counter service restaurants maintain a security guard on the premises, they could do, or they could set the minimum wage to say twenty five dollars an hour. So there's really a, 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 a long and challenging list of policy uh, and employment policy areas that this council has power over. The second part of the bill, and sorry, before I go to the second part, I should also say that part one, the fast food council has that ability over restaurants, whether you're franchised or not. 30 or more locations and counter service is really the only trigger uh, to fall under the council. Part two of the legislation deals prime deals squarely with the franchise model. And what part two will do is uh, create joint and several liability between franchisors and franchisees in California, basically creating... Uh, a, a joint employment relationship between California franchisees and their franchisors. To put that into context, the only other time we've even seen legislative legislative language to that effect proposed was in New York City, and that was a number of years ago. Um, the New York City uh, City Council is certainly a, a, a relatively progressive body, but even that um, body decided that the joint and several liability piece would be a bridge too far. So there are countless implications um, that we can certainly get into about what a joint and several liability um, provision and statute would mean for the franchise business model. But suffice to say that it would basically steer the franchise model in California towards a corporate model. And, you know, again, there are a lot of other provisions that we can touch on and that we will touch on, but that's the the 50,000 foot view. And the one last thing I'll mention is kind of with a timeline. Like I said, the bill was introduced in 2021. 
It's passed the assembly and is now awaiting the Senate. It will have uh, probably two policy hearings sometime in June ahead of the legislative recess from July to August, then potentially a stop in the Appropriations Committee in early August, and could ultimately be up for a final vote on the Senate floor ahead of the legislative ad adjournment, which is currently slated for August 31st. Before we get to a couple of our uh, restaurateurs that we wanted to chat with today, um, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to me that the real scary part here, unlike everything else that we've dealt with the NLRB over the past decade or however long it's been, is that this is actual legislation, correct? This would be law. Yeah, absolutely. This would be the law of the land in California. Um, this, is, this is not a regulation or a policy suggestion uh, or anything of that nature, though. This would be this would be signed into statute in California, so there would be statutory joint liability between franchisors and franchisees. And that, that in and of itself, like I said, it is unprecedented, does not exist any place in the country at any level, state uh, or county or city. Um, so, yes, it would be law and it would be unprecedented. Thank you very much for clarifying that. I appreciate it. Bill, would in our special guest today. Thanks, Jack. Joining us today, we have Greg Flynn from Flynn Restaurant Group and Roy Gillad of Vitality Bowls. Thanks, gentlemen, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So first off, Greg, why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? Uh, sure, Bill. So Flynn Restaurant Group um, is a franchisee of six brands, uh, Applebee's, Taco Bell, Panera, Arby's, Pizza Hut and Wendy's. Uh, we own and operate just under 2,400 restaurants in 44 states, uh, generating around $4 billion in sales and directly employing 73,000 people. And in those 2,400 restaurants are 105 in California in two brands, Applebee's and Panera. This legislation won't apply to Applebee's, but it will actually capture Panera as a primarily counter service business, um, notwithstanding the fact that it's called the Fast Recovery Act and is purportedly only targeting fast foods uh, establishments. Roy, how about you? Great, thank you. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of Vitality Bowls. We're a superfood cafe that started franchising in 2014 uh, from California. We're currently at uh, 77 units open and another 50 or so under development. Uh, started this brand really as a need to nourish my daughter. She was born with severe anaphylactic food allergies to virtually all foods. And uh, we had to figure out how to nourish her. She got below the two percentile in weight and uh, we came across the acai bowl, which is an ancient Brazilian dish encompassing the world's mo most powerful naturally occurring ingredient. And uh, here we are today. Um, I think the mission has evolved more to more from nourishing my daughter into trying to get uh, healthy food across the nation. So um, this legislation is very impactful. Uh, the majority of our units, our open units right now are in California. We're a California brand. We have uh, 38 units either open or under development, five under development in California. So this is pretty, pretty major impact on us. I don't think we would be able, we for sure know that we would not have gotten to where we are today. Uh, we founded it in 2011 is when we opened out of 543 square feet with a bathroom. 
And uh, in 2014, uh, once people understood what it is that we were doing and that we were a wellness brand and we were really impacting our communities, um, figured out, uh, started franchising in the end of 2014. So uh, it's been a wild ride, but it's super fun. But like I said, there's no way in heck that we could have done that uh, if we were joint and several liable for all the franchisees or anything like that, the barrier would just been devastating. Well, Greg, turning to you for a moment, one of the things that we see here is that, you know, you have operations across 44 states. You know, this would impact your business locations in just one of those states. What are some of the challenges that you see for operations in California, um, separate and apart from other territories we operate, if this was to become law? Well, you have to look at the starting point of doing business in California. Um, it's the most difficult state we do business in by a pretty wide margin in almost every way already, right? And the cost of everything is high. It's very difficult to understand the 800 page labor code and comply with it strictly and you must comply with it strictly. Um, so the, um, the relative attraction of California uh, is already questionable. Um, you know, I think the impact of AB 257 would, um, certainly from a franchisor's perspective, uh, put the nail in the coffin. I, I just don't see why anyone would want to own a franchise business in California, um, like ever again. Um, and from a franchisee standpoint, very similar. Um, but it's more, it's more a matter of degree than, you know, a binary outcome like it is with joint liability. The 11 person appointed labor panel, which specifically includes two union representatives and then multiple others that are basically proxy for the union, um, are certainly going to tighten up the labor regulations in every way. And as Jeff mentioned, I mean, that could include uh, $25 an hour you know, minimum wage, it could include uh, predictive scheduling beyond what even California cities have currently adopted. It could include wage and hour rules that, you know, are already impossible to understand and follow, you know, becoming more so. It, it would impose really onerous penalties for violations of any of those. Um, it has not uh, prohibited PAGA enforcement, that's Private Attorney General's Act enforcement. Um, which is already one of the scourges of doing business in California. Um, and because of the joint liability issue, any minor infraction by a franchisee opens the deep pockets of the franchisor up to full liability. I see this being an actual, an absolute avalanche of litigation. Um, yeah, so on a relative basis, California is already at a grave disadvantage and this would widen the gap. Workers say that you know, flipping this on the uh, on the other side of the coin for a moment, um, workers say that this this bill is intended to fight low wages, poor working conditions, and and lack of safety uh, conditions and regulations. But we have research from uh, franchisees and franchisors across the country that highlight uh, that franchising offers better pay, benefits, and upward mobility than nearly any other business format that exists. Now, what, what do you have to say to the workers that, that offer this uh, about AB257? I'd like to jump in here. Um, you know, the underlying premise is that there are, um, there's poor treatment of workers um, focused in large chains and franchise businesses. 
And I, I see no evidence of that. In fact, I think the reverse is probably true that to the extent there are violations of labor codes, um, they are more common in independent restaurants or small chains. Um, and probably probably indifferent between franchise and non-franchise, you know, company owned. Um, because chains and franchise systems have very um, well thought out, uh, usually well tested and refined and, and carefully and systematically implemented standards for operation that are generally adhered to. Um, and independents don't have those. <laughs> and it is, um, so unlikely that there's a higher degree of um, worker harassment, sexual harassment, you know, um, uh, violation of wage and hour law amongst the bigger chains versus the one group that is excluded from this legislation. I think what's really going on here is the SEIU knows it has no chance of getting traction with unionization with independence and this is a way of imposing work rules on the big chains um by demonizing them on un unfairly sure and if if there were any cases of any of these challenges that you just mentioned greg there are already laws in place to to enforce those this is one where it seems that laws are being created or suggested for as you've said forced unionization rather than addressing any actual uh, challenge yeah it's actually it's extraordinary the way they've specifically written this so this 11 person commission sets up work rules and then these rules are reviewed every three years and by the language of the legislation the the revisions can only become uh, only be more worker friendly um they they can only ratchet upward in favor of workers. So let's just say the commission decided on a $25 an hour minimum wage, and that proved to be devastating to entry level jobs. They're unable to roll that back to 15 or 20 or any other level that can only go up by the strict language. Um, it, it's insane legislation. And it ties the hands of, you know, not just the voters and the legislators who really ought to be making policy like this, but even of the commissioners who, who might want to correct a mistake in it. Let's let's talk a little bit more about that, Greg, and, and perhaps uh, Jeff and Roy. You know, why is it particularly bad that uh, the legislature is proposing uh, a specific unelected unaccountable commission? It seems like an abdication of their responsibility as legislators to the people that voted them into the office. It is. Pure and simple. That's exactly what it is. Uh, I mean, for, for decades, the California legislature has, like all legislatures, have been duly elected to make laws, debate laws in an open forum it, to just uh, touching on just these issues. Um, you know, these folks that would purportedly sit on this council uh, don't necessarily have expertise in this issue and in these areas uh, and don't and are not accountable. Again, I think and the, the accountability part is, is a huge part of piece of this. Because obviously, if, if legislators pass policies that are impactful to their constituents, to the businesses in California, there are real consequences to those, as in they may not get reelected. Whereas this council can basically has unfettered ability to do do whatever they would like, yet no accountability to be potentially you know voted out, if you will. Uh, and it's a pure and simple abdication of legislative authority. And to that end, California, of all places, has one of, if not the most robust worker protection apparatuses in the country. 
already built and already voted on and passed and duly debated in open forum by, by these very legislators over the course of the past number of decades. So, Jeff, I totally agree with that. I would say it's not just an abdication of legislative responsibility and accountability, but an evisceration of the existing mechanisms and, and bodies in place to you know, do much of the work implementing the code, which has been you know, drafted and adopted by our elected uh, legislators. And that's an interesting point. So in the normal course of uh, legislation by elected politicians, if legislation is passed that proves to be unpopular, you know, you can vote those people out and a new crop of politicians come in and they can write new rules. There's literally no ability for that to happen here. By by the law's own language, you know, once adopted, a policy can only get stricter, not less strict, no matter what happens to the politicians who adopted it in the first place. Uh, totally unprecedented in the history of legislation, to my own uh, understanding. And singling out only one business format. It's yeah. A, it's so where do we go from here? How can people get involved? It seems like there's this is a fundamental challenge to uh, the business model, to restaurants generally, and to the great jobs that they create. Um, what do people need to do? Well, that's a great point, Bill. And, and uh, you know, this is in, you know we're talking about this obviously because right now it is in the in the restaurant context, in the counter service, quick service context. But it's only a matter of uh, a small uh, amendment here or a small pen stroke there to it's all restaurants, then it's the hotel council, and then it's so on and so forth. Uh, and it's not just the quick service or counter service restaurant space. So, you know, this is an all franchising issue. This isn't just a restaurant franchising issue. Final thoughts from Roy, Greg? For me, it's just, uh, you know, sitting here and listening to this, uh, obviously um, with everybody on this podcast, a pretty pretty thorough explanation of things that I didn't even know. And, and uh, it seems, like a devastating bill for businesses of all side. I mean, this uh, all sizes, this is just, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't even have a hint of pragmatism to this uh, type of um, political, sounds like a political play on capitalism. And it's, uh, it's quite frightening. Uh, I can tell you that I, had a franchisee that uh, spoke with a senator in uh, San Jose and has a very compelling story. And, and we sent that throughout our system, uh, giving him praise, which he deserves. And from all the other states, uh, franchisees replied to my communication, uh, fearful. Uh, you know, how does this affect us outside of California? You're in California. Uh, these are not, um, those are not con good conversations. You know, whenever, whenever something incites fear into a system, uh, it's not good. So uh, I really hope that uh, people get educated on this and, and we push back quite a bit to make sure that this type of devastating bill doesn't pass. Yeah, so I would just say, you know, the, the franchise model has for the most part, uh, been very beneficial to you know, the economy at large, but also to the very people who probably um, lack access to economic opportunity 
the most. And Jeff can you know provide the details, but like I know that you know franchisees are overrepresented, you know, um, in minority and women-owned businesses compared to non-franchise businesses. Um, the Smithsonian Institution at the, the National Museum of American History has a wonderful um, exhibit, a permanent exhibit now, uh, called American Enterprise, History of American Business. There's a special section there on franchising. And it tells the story of, you know, sort of how it came to be, but more importantly, what it did. And, you know, they look at uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken as sort of the, the feature example. And they call it the democratization of opportunity, right? And it's a format that, put so many people in business for themselves who would not have had that opportunity any other way. And it specifically acknowledges this disproportionately brought opportunity to those who lacked it, right? And that's, you know, minorities and women. Um, to target that specific business format is really tragic. It'll be, I think, a loss to the country and the people who benefit the most from it. Um, and it'll be ultimately a loss to California because you know these businesses generate, you know, they're, they're major engines of entry-level jobs, right? And all the studies showed that, you know, for our most economically disadvantaged, you know, uh, youths, if they don't get that first foot on the ladder of employment, their outcomes are are different and much worse. And and you know, if this eviscerates. You know, that engine of entry-level jobs, that's bad for the economy and it's bad for the world. And thanks to you for listening to Franchise Voice. For Bill Meyerling, this is Jack Munson, asking you to join us again for more news and information from the International Franchise Association.